0: Welcome to the American Planning Association podcast. This episode continues our series that takes a look at the people behind the plans, showcasing the work, life and stories of planners from all across the profession. I'm your host, Courtney Kashima, founder and principal at Muse Community Design, a planning and public engagement studio in Chicago, Illinois. I'm also a longtime member of the American Planning Association. Our guest today is Josina Wing Morita. Josina is a commissioner of the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District of Greater Chicago. She was elected in 2016 and was the first Asian American elected to a countywide board in Cook County, which is the second largest county in the country. Trained as an urban planner, she spent the bulk of her career advancing equity through work in human rights, racial justice, community organizing, Policy, and Advocacy. Josina, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So before we pull the curtain back on your work at MWRD and your life as an elected official, I kind of want to start at the beginning. I saw that you grew up in California. I'm wondering how that shaped your
1: interest in place and equity and maybe how you found your way to planning. So growing up, I grew up in the Oakland Bay Area um, and I think growing up in California, I grew up under drought conditions. So you really learn the importance of water when you don't have any. I grew up with short showers, you know, leave it mellow if it's yellow, uh, brown lawns, all of that. And so that's where my passion for water came from. But I think my passion for planning came from growing up in a low income neighborhood and under- not understanding why my friends got to go to certain schools and had different things than I had, and learning the interconnectedness of housing education, healthcare, jobs, how all of these things were interconnected and looking for a field um, and a career where I didn't have to pick, right? I didn't have to pick one issue. Um, And I think it's the interconnectedness and the scale of urban planning uh, that really was attractive to me.
0: So I was looking over your career history, and you seem drawn to overlooked yet important issues. And one thing that stuck out to me that planners may relate to is your work with mapping. <laughs> I was wondering if you could tell us about that.
1: Yes, I've learned not to call myself a, cart- a cartographer or talk too much technicality around GIS, but just to say I'm a mapper. And I think that the politics of place and space are so important, especially in a city like Chicago that's so segregated. Um, I've never been in a city that is so geographically oriented, right? You talk to young people as old as, you know, as young as five who say, I know I can't cross this railroad track. Um, They know their attendance school boundaries. You know, everybody's so neighborhood based even to the intersection that they live in or the block that they live in. And so I think mapping is an incredibly interesting way to tell stories. It's also a really interesting way to understand how to make change, right? How do we... Uh, create spaces that are open and accessible, um, that are safe, right? I mean, talking to young kids about, I can't go to school because I can't cross gang boundaries. And they're invisible um, on a map. But understanding the nuances of how people live their daily lives, the challenges that they face, and being able to create spaces and structures that facilitate opportunity and access is such an exciting thing to be able to do as a planner.
0: Your website describes that you are an urban planner who cares about water. I know you
1: mentioned that briefly uh, in your first remarks, but tell us why that's important. I think they're the obvious reasons. Water is life. It's one of the most important resources. I think moving from California with such a mentality of scarcity and then moving to Chicago with this mentality of abundance, uh, with the Great Lakes that hold 90% of the U.S. water supply... Twenty percent of the world's fresh surface water. People have a very different mentality here about water, and I think that that was so important to me um, to come from a community that didn't have any to a community that felt like they had too much. And what is our role and responsibility as stewards of the Great Lakes and Lake Michigan, um, not just to the folks in Cook County, but to the rest of the country, to the rest of the world, and really understanding how are we proactive? Instead of reactive about water as a resource, we see so many communities like Cape Town, here in the in the Great Lakes region, we see incidents like you know the Flint water crisis. Um, you know we really need to have a plan as a planner, a strategy, and, and a really proactive, forward-looking perspective about how do we how do we manage water, how are we good stewards, and how again do we build an equity and access into that conversation. I've already decided that when the zombie apocalypse happens I'm staying close to Lake Michigan. That's yeah. my strategy. Have you ever seen a map of the world at night? You can see all the lights and there you kind of try to figure out why are all the lights where they are? They're all along water. Interesting. So from hundreds of years ago to now, companies, individuals, families have always migrated towards water. So you see companies like Lagunitas coming to Chicago because of their access to to good quality affordable water and i think we're going to continue to see that forever as long as we continue to be good stewards in
0: my first job i was a county planner and there was a city engineer in charge of the sewer side of stuff quite a character and he told me to keep your head in the gutter and i've never forgotten <laughs> that and it seems like that's probably relevant to your work now to some degree, like the things people take for granted or don't pay attention to, but are are critical to a certain quality of life.
1: I always say Metropolitan Water Reclamation District is the most important agency that nobody knows exists. Uh, We do storm and sewer water for all of Cook County. And if we were not doing our job, you would wake up in the morning and you would know. Right. The fact that we are able to so efficiently and effectively manage storm and sewer water, the kind of water that people don't want to touch, don't want to see, don't want to think about, um, is really a testament to the work that the people in our district do every day. So you were elected in 2016, and that was
0: kind of monumental in Illinois because there were a lot of firsts for Asian-American
1: candidates. Tell us about that and its significance. So coming from California, I was fortunate to grow up with lots of role models, Asian Americans elected at various levels of government. um, And that was the norm. When I moved to Chicago in 2002, there were zero Asian Americans elected to any significant office in Chicago or Cook County. And understanding again the connection as a planner to not just having elected officials but having structures and systems that create access and opportunity. In 2011 I was a redistricting mapper and it was the first time Asian Americans were recognized as a community of interest and that we were able to draw what they call influence districts. So we can't make up an effective majority of a representative district but we can make up a community of interest that maybe makes up 20 percent of a district and we could be kept together because communities like Chinatown, because they weren't recognized under the Voting Rights Act as effective majority communities, Chinatown was split into five different districts. So it was the first time we were able to keep communities like Chinatown and communities like Skokie, where I live, that are 30% Asian American together. And that created the opportunity to then elect Asian Americans. And so in 2011, we drew the first four Asian American influence districts. Now, um, starting in January, we'll have three of those four will have Asian-Americans um, representing those districts. And so we were able to go from zero to three in the General Assembly. And um, the first one countywide, Amiya Pawar was our first alderman Tammy Duckworth is our first statewide as a U.S. Senator. And it's about representation. It's about being able to have a a seat at the table. There's a saying that you're either at the table or you're on the menu. And for a very long time, Asian Americans have been on the menu. And for me, it's not just about Asian Americans... Just for Asian-Americans, you know, as somebody who's worked in coalition with African-Americans and Latinos, immigrant communities, women, it's about making sure that everybody has a seat at the table so that we can have a full conversation. And as we plan cities, as we plan programs, that we're taking into account all the differences that can be strengths, not just weaknesses, um, opportunities for unity and not just division. And so. You know, for me, being a voice for Asian-Americans, but also a voice to kind of bring folks together in a way that we haven't been in Illinois. Should more urban planners
0: run for public office?
1: I think so. Of course, I'm a little bit biased. Um, I think urban planning is one of those fields that very few people know about. Right. It's not something that you talk about in high school. Even very few um, undergraduate programs offer urban planning. I didn't learn about urban planning until I had really been doing urban planning for almost 10 years and went to the master's program at UIC. And I think that what's so attractive about it when I talk to people is the interconnectedness of issues, the interconnectedness of communities. The uh, element of self-determination to be able to plan your own community, to decide what you think is best for your own community versus being planned on, um, being part of the planning process and the decision-making process about your own community – and so I think that that perspective as an urban planner, the kind of taking a step back and being able to see the macro systems and structures of a city, but also the very intimate, you know, the, the politics of place and being able to place yourself in a community and really design space. Um, I think that those two elements together are something very unique that urban planners have that is very important to have when you're having conversations about policy. Um, And as elected officials, we are making those decisions. And so having people at the table who have that perspective of both the macro and the micro, you know, the global and the local, I think is a real asset. So let's dig in a little bit
0: into MWRD as we refer to it here. The service area is, I think, 883 and a half square miles. So letting people think about what that looks like. And if people have heard of MWRD at all, it might be because uh, the famous reversing of the Chicago River (laughs) um, in its early days. So please explain a little bit more about what MWRD is and its evolution from then to today.
1: Sure. Like I said, MWRD to me is the most important agency that nobody knows exists. We do storm and sewer for all of Cook County. And as you said, it's a district that has evolved significantly over time. It's over 130 years old. When we were first founded, we were the sanitary district, and we would manage sewage and put it directly in the Chicago River, right into our drinking water source as you said we reverse the flow of the chicago river to try to protect our drinking water source but over the years and over especially over the last few decades we've you know transformed into the metropolitan water reclamation district so we do sewage but we also see ourselves as reclaiming sewage as a resource right so something that we saw as trash as waste that we would just send down the mississippi river and create the dead zone you know is now a resource so we're looking at green technology looking at ways that we can capture um, energy from the methane gas from the treatment process that now is uh, we have a goal as a district to become energy neutral by 2020 well we'll see what date it ends up being um, Soon, <laughs> soon we create a compost fertilizer out of the waste solids that you can use in your community gardens and your home gardens. Um, I do it in my community garden. I do an experiment every summer where I do half of my garden with the compost and half just with regular dirt. And every year the compost side grows twice as big, earlier, stronger. And it's something that we give away free at the district. So if you're interested in any biosolids, you can contact me and I'll get you some from the bucket to a truckload. Um, But we've really changed as a district as seeing ourselves from being purely a sanitary district to an environmental agency. And to me, the next step as an urban planner is also understanding our role in economic development. You know, we live in a city that's so segregated and communities have been defined by their investment or lack thereof. And so as an agency that is $1.2 billion annual budget, um, where we invest, where we don't invest, how we invest really does have an economic impact on communities. And so how we partner with other government agencies, how we partner with communities to make smarter decisions. You know, traditionally, a stormwater is just a hole in the ground that holds water. We have a project down in Robbins, Illinois, in the south suburbs. It was the first African-American incorporated town in Cook County. It's a small, almost entirely African-American community. They had a stormwater problem, what would traditionally have been a $10 million investment to build a, a you know, tunnel reservoir hole in the ground. Instead, we said, let's take a step back. Let's talk to the community. Let's think about what other problems do they have besides stormwater? jobs, education, access to the river, safe recreational spaces. And we were able to engage different governmental agencies and the community. And what would have been a $10 million investment on on our part for a hole in the ground is now a $2 million investment in partnership with HUD, the Department of Education, the local community. And instead of just being a hole in the ground, it includes a recreational field that is also stormwater detention area includes a green incubator, includes paths from the river to the school, and it includes uh, transit-oriented development uh, for affordable housing. So thinking as an urban planner, thinking intersectionally, thinking from a proactive standpoint, um, has allowed us to do things differently. And I think that's, that's the direction I would like to continue to see the agency go in Um, in terms of what else can we be doing besides solving stormwater? There are many problems um, that we can be partners in in helping address in partnership with communities.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's a long history of equity and infrastructure being used in the same sentence, but we're sure overdue. I know that's a passion of yours. I'm wondering if there's other examples of either things you've been involved with or things that inspire you that um, are helping connect those
1: two things. So I think that projects like the Robbins Project inspire me. Having been a community organizer and, you know, policy advocate at the grassroots level, my ability to take my experience and my relationships from that work and bring it into the agency, but also bring the agency out into the community is very exciting. I talk to about 5,000 students a year, um, you know, really trying to get people to understand what MWRD is, why stormwater matters, why water conservation matters. Um, And I think that questions of equity are incredibly important from technical things that we do at the board, things like providing technical assistance to communities. So, you know, historically, a lot of agencies will say, okay, come to us with a project that needs to be shovel ready and we'll fund it. But most communities don't have an engineer or a planner on staff to be able to even propose a plan to be shovel ready. So how do we fill that gap? right? How do we fill that need? So how do we provide support to communities that we know are most impacted by flooding, provide the technical assistance and capacity to be able to engage their communities in developing plans, and then funding that way instead of funding communities that already have the resources to come to us with plans. Um, But I think what's most exciting is being able to talk to young people who can get them excited about the field of planning, getting them excited about stormwater, um, because it's something that we don't talk about um, but I when I work with kids particularly about water conservation also being able to cultivate an entire generation that thinks differently about water and not just the simple you know don't run your faucet while you're brushing your teeth and short showers but much bigger picture we do a quiz on water footprint so how much water does it take for the day-to-day things that you use? That, you know, eating chicken versus beef can save a thousand gallons of water per meal. Um, You know, they like the chocolate versus vanilla. The adults like the beer versus wine. But thinking about how do you make this conversation accessible? How do you integrate it into the choices that you make every day? Um, And it's not just about sacrificing or buying something new. It's about incorporating it into into your daily life
0: yeah, making it relevant. There's a lot to learn from that. I mean, I think there's a lot of issues that are complex, and people don't feel they have the time to understand. I mean, the the easiest one that comes to mind is people complaining about potholes in the street, but not understanding how maintenance and repair uh, gets paid for and and why we need to do that. So I'm wondering if you have other examples of um,
1: successful efforts to explain those complex issues, especially when we start talking about money. Money is hard. I was uh, telling the story the other day when my cousin was eight years old. He, I don't know why, just came to me and said, I hate taxes. I don't want to pay taxes. When I grow up, I'm not going to pay taxes. And it grew into a larger conversation about, well, where are you going to go to school? How are you going to get there? You're going to build your own roads. You're going to build your own school. You're going to build your own piping system. And he was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just don't want to pay taxes. And he was a really thoughtful kid. And so I didn't realize it had really bothered him, right? He was like, you know, mulling over it apparently for days. And he came to me five days later and said, I thought about it. Okay, I'll pay taxes. (laughs) Uh, I said, why? He's like, because I can't build my own school. I can't build my own roads just to my own house. What if I want to go to my friend's house? Uh, What if I want to go somewhere else? And so I think It is not just a money, you know, I think talking about money and revenue for infrastructure and investment, I think that there's a communications gap right? And how do we make these stories relevant so people understand where their money is going and why I think people think taxes, think government waste, think corruption. And that's a challenge for those of us who are in government to rebuild that trust and tell that story about why taxes are important, but also how we're using their money responsibly, how they're benefiting from it every day, and how that's important moving forward. Sometimes when I get the tax bill and, you know, have an initial
0: reaction to it, I think, well, I'm going to start using the library more and the park more. And that helps me get over the the (laughs) initial sticker shock. I'll just get more for my money.
1: Nobody likes to pay taxes. But I think, you know, I talk to a lot of my friends who are young parents who live in the city of Chicago and they complain about how their taxes are too high. um, But at the same time, their schools are underfunded. And they're either moving out of the city to find better schools, or they're even paying higher taxes to get those better schools, or they're paying out of pocket to send their kids to private school. I think that's a you know, one example of, you know, why we need to pay taxes and invest in quality schools, quality infrastructure, so that you can have the opportunities and the resources and the accesses that you want in the community that you live in.
0: Yeah, and I think that is the distinguishing perspective of a planner the other day I was in a lift and talking to the to the driver as I do and he talked about how he lives in Beverly but drives one kid you know to a school in Wicker Park and another kid to a school in Humboldt Park and for those listeners who aren't from Chicago that's that's a lot of driving and so I immediately was like we need to start framing school quality as a transportation issue. Mm -hmm. Because again, everyone loves to complain about traffic, right? Um, But that interconnectedness of issues is so important. And I think planners um, kind of are best trained or oriented to think about things that way. Right. I'm curious if you share this sentiment. I think a lot of planners get frustrated when certain things are politicized things that maybe in theory have no business being a political matter and infrastructure certainly can be one of those now that you've been on the elected official side of things um wondering your thoughts about that
1: it's hard you know being in government and realizing how everything is political even if now that i'm in government even when i'm not working in government and I'm working with nonprofit organizations or you know, people in the community, it's still political. I think that politics has a bad rap, um, and I think people want to reject politics. Um, I try to make politics better um, and try to make it rational and progressive, um, but I think it's a difficult thing, be- especially in a city like Chicago and especially in a time like right now um, where politics is set so volatile and so divisive and destructive. And I think it's about how do we get more young people, more planners uh, to run for office so that we change the culture of politics and we change people's relationship to politics and elected officials. Um, but I think to the question of politics and, and investment and in infrastructure, you know, a lot of times people will say, oh, well, I'm I'm a fiscal moderate, but I'm a social progressive. And I don't think that you can separate the two right? That a budget is a reflection of our values, right? Where we spend money, where we don't spend money tells us who we do and do not care about. And that's what's, I think, an incredibly important bridge to have that conversation, that you can't disconnect money and people. And you can't disconnect, right? A big part of the connector between that is infrastructure, um, who has safe communities, who has good schools, Um, These are all interconnected issues. And I think, again, as planners, we understand how those issues are interconnected, that if you're going to build housing, then you need to have schools there, right? If you build studio apartments, you're not going to have young children, so you don't need schools. If you build multifamily housing, right, all of these different choices that we make that may seem neutral are not neutral, right? That they really are determining who can and can't live here. Um, What resources are the people who live here? What are they going to have and not have? Um, And so I think it's important that we have those conversations. It's an excellent reminder.
0: I see that, at least in recent times, it looks like MWRD is also trying to lighten up a little bit and have some fun. So I noticed an annual event called Big Jump and (laughs) some behind-the-scenes tours that people can
1: do. Can you tell us a little bit about those? So, again, as a community organizer, one of my goals was to bring MWRD to the community and to raise its profile. Like, how do we change the fact that it's the most important agency that nobody knows exists? And again, going on the tenor of how people feel about politicians, what's more fun than making politicians jump in what people think is a disgusting river, at the same time highlighting all of the work that's been done to clean up the river and really bridging a lot of elected officials who may not see their job as water quality or connected to water and stormwater and environmental policy. Um, You know, so getting them to jump in the river um, was both fun. Um, I think it was also a good learning experience for the elected officials themselves to think about what is their role, whether they're Congress people um, and city government or state government and cleaning up the river to make it. So they did not die, right? They or- did not die. I jumped in pregnant uh, this summer. And so my child has all of its limbs and features, um, you know, and so it, it is not what people who grow up here remember it to be. Right again. A hundred years ago, we were putting raw sewage, dead animals, according to political myth, dead bodies, into the Chicago River. You know, there still are areas that, of course, need a lot of improvement, like Bubbly Creek. Um, but the improvements that we've made in the role of MWRD in that—you know—we went from putting raw sewage into the river to now, with disinfection being in place at our Calumet and O'Brien plants, the water that we put back into the river is cleaner than the river water itself. It's nearly drinkable. Um, and so the jump in the river is a fun, accessible way to tell that story, as well as to help build partnership and political will to continue the work to get to where we need to go. So we jump in the river every summer. Um, I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to uh, bring effluent beer um, to Chicago, right? I think the last thing anybody thinks about is drinking their own sewer water, but the technology is there and water is becoming its own renewable resource, um, in a way that we never thought it would be. And, you know, what's a better way to learn about that than maybe through beer? <laughs> um, so thinking about how do we make these conversations and these issues more fun, more accessible, more exciting, um, but also, of course, educational. I thought
0: I was cool for having eaten an Asian cart burger, but the effluent beer is
1: Yeah, my goal is to actually to have an effluent beer and Asian carp grill (laughs) festival, maybe in Ping Tom Park with the big jump one day. There you go. Tell us a little bit more about the technologies that MWRD is using. As we've transformed from being just the sanitary district to the Metropolitan Water Reclamation District and really reclaiming water, um, not just clean drinking water, but stormwater and sewer water as a resource, we've been able to pilot and push new technologies. So we have the compost biosolid fertilizer that we hopefully will be taking to market one day. We have the biogas program where we're capturing gas and um, out of the water treatment process, the methane gas that can be used on site at our treatment plants, and again, the goal of being energy neutral, but also potentially one day creating excess gas that can be sold um, or given to other municipalities. Um, we also have uh, algae programs. So phosphorus, right, which is an essential uh, resource on the planet. It's a finite resource that you need to grow anything is incredibly important for agriculture, growing food, but it's incredibly damaging in water, right? It creates the algal blooms and the dead zones. And so we have a, a pilot program at our O'Brien plant that uh, removes the phosphorus from the water um, and creates algae that we then use to create green products. So we have flower pots that are made out of plastics that are made out of the algae. Uh, we have another program where we have these things called Austera crystals So it's a slow-release, non-water-soluble uh, fertilizer crystals that you can put in your lawn. So um, it has the phosphorus in it. Instead of being wasted, it only gets absorbed when it makes contact with roots. And then because it's not water-soluble, it means when it rains, it doesn't go directly down the drain again. It remains uh, where you put it. Um, And then disinfection, which is something that uh, we piloted at our O'Brien and Calumet plants, which is taking the water treatment process one additional step to be cleaner um, before it goes into the Chicago River and to our recreational waterways. So at the O'Brien plant, we're piloting a technology that uses UV light to take that extra level of disinfection. And at the Calumet plant, we're piloting chlorine. And so, when the pilot process is done, we'll be able to evaluate both its effectiveness, its efficiency, costs, all these different things. And hopefully, one day, we'll be utilizing these technologies across our different plants as well as across the country with partner agencies. So, I think, you know, we also play this interesting role as a research and technology incubator. We are one of the largest water treatment. Um, agencies in the world. Stickney is one of the largest water treatment plants in the world. Uh, The McCook Reservoir, when it's completed, will be the largest reservoir in the world. Um, And so the scale that we are able to provide to research institutions, to companies, to pilot technologies is also very exciting, and it's a contribution that we make to the broader field. Um, even though MWRD is
0: geographically specific, you've been involved in some things at the state level, including uh, recently elected Governor for Illinois J.B. Pritzker um on one of his transition committees. So tell us a little bit about what's happening at the state level.
1: So I think it's an exciting time to talk about infrastructure and investment in the state of Illinois. We haven't had a capital bill since two thousand and nine. You know, we've had an administration that couldn't even pass a budget. Uh, for a number of years, and so this is something that uh, Governor-Elect Pritzker ran on and has been talking about. I think it's important for a number of reasons, right? One is building our infrastructure. We have roads and bridges that need fixing. It's going to create jobs, but I think there's a lot of opportunity for new ideas as well. I think oftentimes you think of capital and infrastructure as, oh, it's just this old, boring, gray infrastructure. Um but there's opportunities to talk about new forms of water infrastructure and new forms of green technology. I've been very passionate about the issue of water reuse, right? So Illinois is one of about a dozen states left in the country that doesn't allow us to use non-potable water for non-potable uses. We're not saying drink it, I mean, one day maybe, um, in the beer that we're talking about. But The fact that we are required to use drinking water for everything in Illinois, we're required to use drinking water for flushing our toilets, for washing our cars, for manufacturing, it's a waste. It's not just a waste of water, it's a waste of energy, right? The amount of energy it takes to clean water to the point of drinkable. It's inefficient in terms of transporting water. If we can capture stormwater on site and use it on site. These are not brand new ideas; they're just new to Illinois, um, and I think it's an exciting time to think about how do we incorporate some of these newer environmental ideas to the capital bill and to the traditional questions of investment and infrastructure, and how do we do it simultaneously, so um, and more efficiently and effectively? Um, you know, doing roads and bridges, and you know, putting the water infrastructure in at the same time that we're building the new road. Right, things that oftentimes as planners we might think are simple, but having worked in government, you realize they're quite complicated.
0: And I think you hit on this before their importance to achieving other goals, whether it's economic development or um, addressing disinvestment, those kinds of things.
1: Yeah, if you can't get to work safely, then you can't work. So, a lot, they're all interconnected, and it's about building a better Illinois. Uh, well, you're definitely an inspiration, and I, I will love to
0: continue to watch you work locally and at the state level. I noticed that, in addition to the fact that we both attended the Master's in Urban Planning program at UIC,
1: Yay mobsters.
0: <laughs> that you and I uh, both have multiracial families, and you know, we hear the projections and the trends of uh, whether you call it the Browning of America or that, you know, at a certain point, white Americans will no longer be the, the majority, but it's also not too long ago that the Loving decision happened, for mm-hmm. example. I'm wondering, as a mother, advocate, and elected official, you touched on representation before, but how do those things impact
1: your work? That's a big question, right? Um, I think that we see a lot of demographic changes, both within segregation as well as with integration. Right. And I think that that's my passion has always been around racial equity and creating unity and relationships and trust between different communities. Um, My family happens to be a representation of that. I'm married to an African-American. My kid is what we call Blasian, (laughs) black and Asian. Um, And I think that You know, we are living in times where a lot of these things are being questioned again. And so I think it's really important as a person, as a mother, as an elected official to instill those values in our children, but also instill those values in the decisions that we make about the city that we're planning and building, the policies that we pass, um, that they really are centered around inclusion, centered around equity Um, and centered around having a vision of a community that we want to live in where nobody's excluded. Um, And I think that it couldn't be more important than right now. When I ran, you know, I was elected the same night as Donald Trump. And so what I thought my job was going to be, you know, to be a planner, to talk about stormwater and land use on the board, I spent much of my first six months in office being part of elected official delegations at O'Hare Airport, advocating for legal counsel for people who are being detained, for saying science is real, and advocating for EPA workers, marching for science, marching with women. I think it's a time where not just elected officials, but all of us have to kind of say this is who I am and these are my values and I can't just sit back and expect them to maintain themselves that it really is an act that we have to continue to make choices every day and live those realities and advocate for those realities that we want our children to be able to live in because those things may seem like they're so far away the loving act and you know all of these different kind of miscegenation laws and immigration laws that we have to fight for the, the world that we want to live in.
0: Important reminder and a call to action. I'm wondering if there's any resources you want to share, either uh, your own or things you've been reading, things that inspire
1: you that our listeners should check out. Um, for those of you who are interested in MWRD, our website is MWRD.org. Um my website is Friends of J-O-S-I-N-A um, I'm on Facebook as MWRD Commissioner Josina Morita. You can see pictures of my very cute Blasian baby. Um, and I think that talking about some of these projects, if anybody's interested in what we're doing in Robbins, what we're doing with disinfection, what we're doing with the big jump, all or if you just have your own ideas of what should we be doing, um, please reach out. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, like I said, you're an inspiration and we're going to
0: keep watching you soar. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the American Planning Association podcast. For more information and to hear past episodes, visit planning.org slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Have an idea for a podcast? Send them to podcast at